Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Understanding this gospel series 2, part 2. So we said man fell. He lost heaven as a connection and not as a place. Remember that? He lost the image of God that he had in Christ. And he also lost the fellowship that he had with heaven. Which was the fellowship that guaranteed his supply. Make sense? Guaranteed his supply because he wasn't here on his own account. And so he lost his place on the earth, right? The image of God is Christ. We have explained this over and over in multiple different teachings. We've also explained, and I'll talk more about that today, that the kingdom of God is Christ, right? He is the system of the kingdom of God. He is the kingdom of God. So you were speaking to them in Luke and he said, even now the kingdom of God is within you. Referring to who? Himself. Because at the time he was speaking to them, even though they could not discern, he was the epitome of the kingdom of God. Are you here? So he lost that connection. He lost his supply line. And he lost the kingdom of God on earth. On earth. If man was designed for heaven, the moment that man was created, he should have been put in heaven. There's no need for the earth. Because all man seems to have ever done is to mess up everything that was good before man came. Because everything was fine before man came. Animals were working as normal. They just had no names. But everybody was okay. Everyone was fine. All the animals were working well. All the plants, every living creature, everything was alright. Until man came. Why was there the need for man in the earth if the goal was heaven? Because heaven was created along with everything in it. Heaven came into being. Heaven did not evolve. Do you understand? There have been the four living creatures as long as there has been heaven. There has been the 24 elders as long as there has been heaven. The 24 elders did not start as deacons. They didn't become elders by promotion or by evolution. You know, they were brothers, <laughs> deacons, then last, last, and became elders. So now they can advise God and say, Ah, Elohim, don't do that thing. So there has been the 24 elders as long as there has been heaven. There has been the cherubs and the seraphs as long as there has been heaven. There has been the 10,000 times 10,000, basically infinity of angels, as long as there has been heaven. There has been the Nephilim as long as there has been heaven. Job 38 in verse 1, Job had been making him out for a while and saying all kinds of stuff. And it was now God's time to... As Job, question, 
and say, I will ask you and you will answer me. And it was one, <laughs> that drama starts to play out. I need it for seven or eight, but for context, we'll go from verse one. Job 38 and one. Job 38 and one. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? This is God speaking, right? Telling Job, now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. He starts the question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me. If you have understanding. If I were Job, I'd be shaking by this point. <laughs> I mean, by this point, I'd have put my hands up. i say, sir, I have no understanding. Don't bother. <laughs> but it quickly gets worse by the next verse. Who determined its measurements? Surely, you know. <laughs> or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Wow. Or who laid its cornerstone? See this verse. Who laid its cornerstone? Next verse. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of thee? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the Job 38. You see why I've told you that you cannot get the entire creation account from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. There's a bunch of scriptures you must put together, harmonize them to get a full overview of the creation story. Job 38 is one of them. And he says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? To what did I fasten it? When the morning stars sang together. And the sons of God sang for joy. Sons of God, they're referring to the angelic beings. Nephilim. Cherubs. Singing for joy where? At the foundation laying ceremony of the earth. So you see that heaven did not go through the creation evolution as it were. That earth went through. Does that make sense? Earth, you see where the first thing that was created was light. And the evening and morning were the first day. But the sun and the moon and stars did not come until day four. Light was created on day one. Sun, moon, and stars, day four. So what was the light created in day one? Because the first thing he said was, let there be light. And the evening and the morning was the first day. Right? Genesis 1-3. Greater light, lesser light. Greater light to rule the day. Lesser light to rule the night. Greater light to call the sun. And then he called day, and the less light he called the moon, and he called that night. That was day four. So the light in day one was not optics as per day four. There was light in day one. There was no sun, moon, and stars. Yes, yes, sir, yes, sir. There was light. Yes, sir. That is the light that shines in darkness, and darkness comprehends it not. Yes. That's the light that the darkness in, at the cross mirrored. That's the darkness that was upon the face of the deep in Genesis 1-2. Right? And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. And in that darkness, what did God release? Who did God release? Light. <laughs> Genesis 1-3. Let there be light. Because without that light, nothing could be made that was made. Does that make sense? So John 1 comes and starts to talk about it from that Genesis 1 perspective. And says, in the beginning of the world, the world was with God. 
The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was nothing made that was made in Him was light. And that light was the life of men. That light shined in darkness. Referring you to Genesis 1. When darkness was upon the face of the deep and God said, let there be light. So everything about creation came forth from the release of light. Are you here? So the light came and then the rest of creation took place over a period of six days. It's up to you if you want to go with the young earth theory, if you want to make it six days, literal days, or if you want to make it a year with you, a day with you as a thousand years. Choose one. Six days, six days, six days, six thousand years. Be my guest. The point is the earth came about by an evolutionary process. Does that make sense? What was created in the two was not there in the one. What was created in the three was not there in the two. And so on and so forth. Right? Until the evening and the morning of the sixth day. And then man came about. You don't have such a record for heaven. So the moment God conceptualized heaven, it came to be as he intended. That's why there's no record for when he created angels. Are you here? That's why there's no record for when he created the four living creatures and the 24 elders. But were they created? Oh yes, they, they, they were created. They, are, they have not been eternal as God. Or else they will be equal to God. They are created things. Thou art worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. Revelation 4.11 For thou created all things. Not all earthly things. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. All things. All things. Colossians 1.16, all things, not all earthly things, all things. Colossians 1.16, 1 and 16 Colossians, look at this. For by him, all things were created, see the emphasis, that are in heaven. Am I right or correct? For by him, all things were created that are in heaven. And that are on the earth. And then even goes further to explain some of these things in the heavens and earth. Visible and invisible. Including spirits. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So we don't have a biblical account of the creation process of heaven. But we know that it came to pass by the thinking and speaking of God. And as it came to pass, it was created along with everything in it. So heaven did not evolve to become what it came to be known as. Heaven showed up as is. Does that make sense? Heaven showed up as heaven. Heaven did not have a choice to be God's will. Heaven is not trying to be God's will. Heaven is God's will. Does that make sense? So the process by which creation came about on the earth does not, we can safely say, does not apply to heaven. Because heaven came completely. The earth takes a different turn, however. And then God creates man from heaven. I told you that last week. 
Because he's created in the image of God. And we know the image of God is Christ. Colossians 1, right there in verse 15, amongst other verses, makes that clear. Colossians 1, 15, for emphasis. He is the image of the invisible God. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 also lends its voice to that. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 makes that clear as well. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, shall shine on them. So Christ is the image. We're not trying to do hide and seek and try and, you know, it's, it's clear beyond dispute. The image of God is Christ. Hebrews 1 and 3, who being the brightness of his glory, Hebrews 1 and 3, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person. Right? Express image. The word used there in the Greek is the word replica, with a K instead of a C, out of which you get replica, the English word. All right? Replica is used of image. Another word used of image is the Greek word character, from which you get the English word character. It's spelled with Ks instead of a C. And refers to something about a person that is exact reflection or expression or representation of that person. So Christ is the express expression, representation, replica, and character of God. Does that make sense? That's why I've always said in this house that to, to know God is to see Christ. To see Christ is to know God. Make sense? Because Christ is the explanation of God. Can we say that together? Christ is the explanation of God. He's the expression of God because he's the image of God. God is invisible. You know, Paul says, Paul, who's, who unpacks towards the gospel of grace, says that now to Timothy, or telling Timothy, or praying with Timothy in his letter, and he says, now to the king immortal, invisible. Not invincible, as in indefatigable, but invisible, as in you cannot see. Make sense? The same Paul speaking says that this God dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can ever see. Right? And then Jesus now says that the Son of God has made him known. So God is invisible. We can't see him. Who makes him known? Who gives visibility to God? Christ. So Christ is what God looks like. Right? Christ is the visibility of God. You get it? He's the image of God. So when God created man in his image... It means that God consulted Christ when making man. Does that make sense? So the man was created as Christ, not just like Christ. Make sense? So being like Christ is actually bust up on your journey to being as Christ. That something is like something doesn't make that thing the thing it is like. Make sense? Doesn't make it light. So God made heaven perfect, complete, as a working system. Puts the earth, fashions the earth, and then puts man in it. Man created in his image. This image is Christ. Christ is the image of God. Christ is the explanation of God. Christ is the kingdom of God. Right? And then God gives man to have dominion. Mamlaka. Why was man given dominion? Because he was created as dominion. Yes, yes, 
Are you here? Man was given dominion or the right to rule and reign in the earth because he came from the stem of dominion. He came from the seed of dominion. Does that make sense? He came from Christ, the image of God. Christ, the kingdom of God. Christ, to whom the kingdoms of the world were promised. We saw that in the scriptures we read last week. Are you here now? So when you come in God's image, which is Christ, what do you have? The authority of Christ. When you come in God's image, which is Christ, what do you come with? The authority of Christ. Are you following me now? If you come from royal stock, what do you come with? Royalty. By nature. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to. The, the British monarchy, for instance, is a very, very interesting system. They, are, they have lots of people who are, who are in line to the throne. But if a royal banquet were called, even if you are 200th in line to the throne, you will be in that banquet. Does that make sense? You don't have to apply to be there. You are royalty. Your uncle is 40th in line to the throne. Sir, you're royalty. You are what they call blue-blooded. Royal blood is supposed to be blue. <laughs> in a manner of speaking. So nobody gets up and applies to be royalty. Does that make sense? You just are royalty. By virtue of being born into a royal family. Does that make sense? It's the consequence for being born into that kind of family. And don't let me get started on the wealth that those guys control. Prince Charles alone, when you hear somebody called a duchy, they give you a duchy, or you're called a duke of a particular place. It means that the entire proceeds of the crown in that area have been bequeathed to you. So all the lands, all the farms they make, all the wineries, all the excavations, and all the mining, and all of that in that area comes directly to you. Just because you were born into a royal family. Even if you don't want to behave like it. Does that make sense? Whether you like it or not. When you were created in God's image, you came forth as royalty. As you came forth as royalty, it was only natural for you to be given dominion. You didn't have to apply for dominion. Look at me. You didn't have to pray for dominion. You didn't have to. You came from dominion, so you came as dominion, and therefore you came with dominion. The royalty is who you are. And that you messed it up doesn't stop you being it. So we're giving dominion, mamlaka, or you're giving the kingdom. Does that make sense? What kingdom? Kingdom of heaven on earth. Make sense? Yes, sir. All right. That's what we lost when we fell. The fall of man introduced sin. Right? Yes, the fall of man introduced sin. Because I said to you last week, man fell because he did not believe the gospel. Based on the faith of God. Remember that? And by faith of God, 
that I'll be referring you to, faith consciousness. The fall of man introduced sin, and that sin brought about death. You get it? Fall of man introduced sin, that sin brought about death. And that death, as we began to see last week, meant alienation from God. From our heaven connection. Make sense? Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, right? Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Take it again. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. Who's the one man? And death through sin. Let's see it in the TPT. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience. Beautiful. And death was the result. Does that make sense? The message. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. <laughs> so you know how the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First, sin, then death. And no one exempt from either sin or death. So death is the result of sin. And sin is the result of the fall. Did Adam sin or did Adam fall? Adam fell and his fall brought about sin. Because there would have been no sin until Adam fell. If Adam sinned, it would have meant that sin preceded the fall. Are you here now? But everything, everything, not some things, everything God created was very good. So there would have been no space for sin in the very good creation of God. So scripture says that Adam sinned, and by Adam's fall, rather, sin came into the world. Adam's disobedience, Adam's rebellion against the gospel brought about sin. That's why sin is introduced to the world as a nature, not as an act. So what we're inheriting as mankind is the sinful nature that Adam now introduced because he fell. The moment he disconnected from his heavenly source, he passed that virus down to us. Does that make sense? And sometimes I wonder how people, even some new creation preachers, I've heard people preach and say that nobody was a sinner because of Adam. New creation, guys. Nobody's a sinner because everybody's a sinner because they rejected the gospel. So how do you explain how do you explain this? How do you explain the numerous instances in the scriptures where it's clear, original, or inherited sin? What makes it unjust? What makes it unjust and impossible if two people who are HIV positive procreate and the child is born HIV positive? Because it happens. Genetic transfers. 
someone who has a bipolar disorder, someone who has a blood condition, someone who has sickle cell anemia, and there are loads of genetically trans transferred conditions, right? Hepatitis, uh, hypertension, yeah, so diabetes. So a lot of genetically transferred. How much more sin as a defining nature? What's so difficult to understand about that? How do you explain away Romans 5? How can you believe Paul's gospel of grace and reject his doctrine of inherited sin? Why should we even believe Paul at all if we're picking and choosing and determining how we subscribe to his theology? Then you can't even be sure if you're truly saved by grace through faith. Not of works because Paul might have gotten it wrong. So you have to be careful when we start cherry-picking the things that we build doctrine on. Because if you invalidate the person on one count, then it opens the window for anything else the person said to potentially be inaccurate. That's a very murky water to begin to find yourself in. Adam sinned. Adam fell. The fall brought about sin. Sin brought about death. Death passed through to all men. And that death was what? Alienation from God, from our heaven source. Does that make sense? Not a disconnect or not a, how do I put this now? Not necessarily a loss of, of heavenly citizenship. Otherwise, we will not be called lost. Sharing the story of the, of the prodigal son. Luke 15. And they were shocked when I told them the meaning of the word prodigal. I told them that the word prodigal means extravagant, excessive, mighty, so plenty, lavish. So much that you can waste it and not finish wasting it. So I said to them, I said, that's me. Oh yeah. I'm the prodigal son. For when sin abound, Romans 5.20, grace abound much more. So there, there has never been a war how does the message put that verse? It says, in the war of sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. Grace is never intimidated by sin. It's a pity when people are shouting, when you hear grace, you hear sin. Then their minds are dirty. All those self-holy, self-righteous people, their minds are dirty and filthy. Any mind that thinks of sin when it hears grace is filthy and unregenerate. And I say with no apology. I don't care who you are. It's self-righteousness. Any mind that hears sin when we mention grace is dirty. That's why I keep telling you guys there's some arguments I don't get involved in. Can you hear sin? Grace and what comes to mind is sin. No. Grace is not threatened by sin. Grace is the cure for sin. Grace is the end of sin. Grace is the antidote to sin. Grace is sin's worst nightmare. Sin doesn't like it when grace shows up. Because sin is always swallowed up by grace. Sin is always swallowed up by grace. So you call it hyper. It's not enough. Try prodigal. Why do you think that Jesus culture will write Kim Walker Smith and write and say if grace is an ocean? <laughs> you don't enter an ocean to swim and you're looking for the sign that says 15 feet. <laughs> 8 feet. 
three feet, the shallow end of grace. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. No. We're all sinking. We're all fully baptized, submerged. And so the guy comes and starts to tell his story. He says, I will go back as a servant. I'm not worthy to be called your son because the guy was convinced that what he took from his father and, and squandered has affected the father. Yes. My father gave me three billion. He gave my brother three billion. That means we left him with nothing. So now that I've squandered my three billion, that means my father is three billion poorer. So he was thinking he had hurt the father's fortunes by spending wastefully what the father gave him. Not knowing that the father is self-generating. Self-sufficient. Ever abounding. So he came back thinking he would meet the father poorer than he left him. Because he had used plenty grace. Now he fell so low that he it's not like he didn't want to ask for grace anymore. He was convinced, ah, my father has no grace left. It's not, do we not all see when he shed everything into two and give me? So what does my, what, what, what justification do I have to ask my father for anything? He doesn't even have. Now you look at me and say, what I even give you? God, you wasted it. I've not recovered from what I gave you. And he goes back with this very stupid, self-righteous speech that he rehearsed from hell if it was a pit. (laughs) In the pit of hell. I don't know how we got that nonsense from in church. Because there is hell. There's the bottomless pit or the abyss. There's the lake of fire. Hell is not a pit. And hell is not fire. Three different things. In fact, four, if you add death. Because death and Hades, as hell, were cast into the lake of fire after Satan had been thrown into the abyss or the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. Then Satan plus Hades and death were all cast into the lake of fire. So where do we get pit of hell from? And how do we start casting and binding demons and sending them into a pit that only Satan can go and not now until that day. Because yeah. nobody can bind Satan. It's not in scripture anywhere. Nobody has the right to bind Satan. He'll be bound hands and feet in that day of the Lord by one particular angel. We cast into the abyss for a thousand years. At the end of it, that's the thousand years we're ruling with the Lord in the earth. After that thousand years, he'll be brought forth again to judge the nations, to tempt the nations. And then the end shall come, the real end. Then he is then judged. And he is cast into the lake of fire with hell and death. Hell will enter fire. Hell is not fire. Hell fire. Where did we get it from? Hell alone is fire. Hell alone is pit. (laughs) hell is very powerful actually the religious Christian hell (laughs) multi-purpose hell 
<laughs> Where do you get that from? So if hair was a pit, it's from that pit that this boy got this speech. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And just accept me as one of your hired servants. Just allow me, Sha. And I showed them in, in that scripture how the father totally ignored the boy's nonsense. Totally. They answer him. Instead, the father addressed the servants. Say, so, see, bring the grove, bring the ring, bring the shoes, kill that cow, that one. For my son, he was telling servants, faithful servants, my son was dead, he's alive, my son. I was telling some, the, the servants that the boy felt like he had come down to be like, were the servants the father was speaking to. And says, my son was dead, he's alive. My son was lost, he's found. Servants went off to serve the son. Who was standing there wanting to claim servant. Someone went off. And then an elder brother comes back. And he was hearing Bedu from outside. Zumba Mbadiwe. He said, what's happening? What's happening? He said, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not your brother. Came back and the brother, the elder brother got offended. Vexed for the pops. It's not going into the house. The father came out and met him and said to him, Why are you angry? The brother was dead. He's found. He says, Everything I have is yours. That's the lost son who was thinking that he would qualify for what the father had by good works. All these years I have slaved to slave for you. So what's the difference between you and the servants? So basically all the father was asking the boy was, did I born you to be a servant? To be a worker in my vineyard. All these years. And pay attention to the sound of religion. Father, I've been serving you in church. I've been faithful. I've been paying my tithes. My offering. I've served in every department. Have I not done enough to get your attention? Listen, the worst, one of the worst scams of religion is the scam of God who remember you. So there's a period where he forgot you. You now shouted, shouted, heaven will not rest. Now the stop heaven is God was like, okay, 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 okay. Take, 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 allow me, allow me, peace. Your God is from worry. You have to provoke him. If you don't provoke, he's not doing anything for you. Provoke the Lord with your offering. Provoke what kind of God will not serve his children until they provoke him? Provoke him with your seed. Provoke him with your offering. What kind of God is that provocative God? He's not provoked. He's not doing anything. Me too, I have provoked. I'm not provoking you. Let's not provoke. 
that's why I keep telling you, you must be careful your definition of God. Be careful. That's a lost song. Coming back, say, I've serving, I've been serving you. You didn't give me a goat. First of all, the father divided everything he had into two. And gave you your It wasn't just the younger son that got his. You got all that was yours. You left it and went back to the farm. Because you felt I didn't do anything to earn it. Let me keep serving. No, there's no, 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 no. There's no way that I can touch this thing. Before my father will get up and say, tomorrow, what do you do for this? I will now not be able to say I've worked for it. So he left it and kept slaving. Not supervising slaves. Slaving. I call Grace Hyper. Look for a bigger word. Because Grace doesn't begin to be Grace until it has passed Hyper. Two million kilometers and counting. Just in the in the viewfinder, the back mirror of grace, you are seeing hyper is far away before you can start to try to attempt to begin to qualify grace. We have left hyper grace far behind. The word hyper is an insult to the magnanimous grace of God. What nonsense. Let's see that bounds grace. So think how think of how, how sinful the world is. It will give you a, a tiny sneak preview into how magnanimous his grace is. If you are so taken by and so concerned by how big sin is, let it cause you to begin to appreciate how bigger grace is. I repeat, grace is not intimidated by sin. Any God that runs away because you messed up should be serving you. Because he's a weak God. Timid, afraid God. He's a God that if he allows you, your mess will disturb how much of a God he is. So once you're messed up, he runs away because that's how you stain his white shirt. So as soon as you're coming to God, God is like, ah, don't touch me. You stain me. Once you stain me, you reduce how much God I am. When God is so fair eyes to behold iniquity, it doesn't mean that your iniquity can affect God. His fairer eyes to behold iniquity means that he cannot see sin in you and leave it there. <laughs> you know how religion has always painted it like he's a fair God cannot see sin. It's how he will see sin, sin will mess him up. No, 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 no. He's a fairer eyes, he's too righteous to see sin and leave it as sin. He will fix it. Forget what religion told you. That's not what David meant. David knew he had gone through enough mess to know that Kai God, your fairer eyes to, to see iniquity, you will deal with it. Oh, that's good news. So, 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 he, he cannot see sin, yet he sent his son and made him sin. So, God sees all things. The eye of the Lord runs to and fro, but he will not see sin. 
Oh, too much sin. It's blinding me. I, I, I'm, I'm not able to be God anymore. The sin is too bright. Take it away from me. Why then would the man stand and say, Come to me, all ye. And labor. And heavy laden, I will give you rest. Why would he say to them, he say, Why would he tell them that the well do not need a physician, but the sick? Pay attention to the language of Jesus and see if it corresponds with your religious God. Tell me how it corresponds to a religious God that he sat down at a table and a prostitute comes with oil, pours it on his feet and uses her hair and starts to wipe it and he looks at her smiling and says, your sins are forgiven. How does that work with your theology of God? Being of fairer eyes to behold iniquity. And he's walking around and picking tax collectors one after the other. Levi, your turn today. Matthew, when your house. You think because you're hanging on a tree, Zacchaeus. No, today, calm down. It's your turn. It's to the point where the Pharisees acknowledge that this guy is friend of sinners. How come it's only sinners we are seeing you with? Because he said, you, you just didn't pay attention. The son of man came to seek and save who? lost so who would he have been seen with the people he came to save this man made righteousness that's afraid of sin <laughs> not the righteousness of God man made righteousness the grace of God is amazing when man fell man hear me carefully man did not lose Heaven. You didn't lose your citizenship. When Paul says our citizenship is in heaven, did he say our citizenship is now in heaven? We have now received what we didn't have before. So prodigal son comes back forming self-righteous. Let me, start, let me punish myself small. It's not fair now for me to come back and be forming son. No, now. Let me, let me do servant. And the man turns and tells servants, my son, not my former son. Because at least you should have said, this boy was my son. He stopped being my son. Now he's now coming back to be my son again. He said, no, my, my son was lost. So who was he? Lost son. My son was dead. Who was he? Dead son. Common denominator. Son. Son. Sheep that left the fold. Lost sheep. Not goats. So we lost our dominion, right? Or our Kingdom privilege. Are you here? Death came. When it happened in Genesis 3, what was the first thing God did? Set in motion his plan to restore us to what we lost. How did he intend to do that? By another Adam. Just, I put one, that one is supposed to colonize. 
one messed up, failed at his assignment. Now there's a bunch of people that are no longer representing the colony that they're supposed to be according to my plan for the earth. For the earth to become as it is in heaven. Are you following me now? Imagine if Mongo Park had failed, for instance. What would they have done? Sent another explorer. If they received word that that explorer had died, they would have sent another one. Because Mongo Park wasn't the only explorer. So one Adam who was supposed to be the chief of the colony to give birth and expand the colony has messed up. Our colony is doomed. What do we do? Send another one of the same kind. Start the colony again. And all people need to do is to appreciate that this colony has failed. A new one has begun. So let's leave this first guy that put us in this mess. And let's follow this new guy that can fix the mess. Gospel. Adam. First seed of the colony of heaven on earth. He messes it up. Think of a radiation fallout. So everybody that is there inevitably becomes part of the fallout by virtue of being in that colony, a failed colony. You don't have to play, play with a nuclear reactor to ingest radiation. Just be around. Does that make sense? You don't have to necessarily go and start to poke holes in the silo. No, just be around. And so an infected man starts to give birth to offspring that are born how? Infected. It's simple logic. I don't understand why we'll argue. It's simple logic. So Adam starts to give birth. He's infected. Everybody he gives birth to is infected. And so we leave his lineage because there is no way a non-infected offspring can come from this Adam. There's no way. As long as you're coming from the lineage of this Adam, you will arrive infected whether you like it or not. So we're going to have to totally leave this lineage. But before we leave this lineage, let's block the access of this lineage to the tree of life. Because if you, in your zombified state, eat this nectar of life, you will live forever in your zombified state. Are you following me now? If you eat of the tree of life, you come into eternal life in damnation. And that means this is a son I will never recover. So it was in his love that he blocked the way to the tree of life. Because if you eat it in that state, there's no turning back. If you eat the tree of life in that state, there's no turning back. We now have eaten the tree of life in this state. Why should there be a turning back? Why is it my salvation now that can be lost? When I ate the tree of life as a son of God. If somebody that was fallen and had still eaten the tree would have come into eternal life in damnation and cannot be reversed. You cannot reverse it. Then 
I who am now a son of God have eaten that tree of life and you can reverse it. The devil is a liar. If you can reverse mine, then God had no need to fear. You should not let them go in the tree of life. Ecclesiastes says that whatever the Lord does, Ecclesiastes 3.14 I know that whatever God does, whatever, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. And God does it so that men should fear before him. So is my salvation an act of God? God did it. It's forever. Excuse me. God did it. I, I didn't save myself. I didn't. You, you, you didn't save yourself. Who saved you? God did it. Oh, okay. God, God did it. God. It's forever. Nothing can be taken from it. Nothing can be added to it. So he guards the way to the tree of life. Don't eat it in that state. Because if you eat it in that state, that's you forever lost. And my plan for you is not for you to be forever lost. Even though you fail. But you see, your fall doesn't change my plan for you. In fact, your fall stares you into my plan for you. So contrary to popular opinion... God is not just there waiting to judge somebody that failed. That's not your father. Just there waiting. Once you, once you sleep up. Man. That's not your father. He already made provision for the fall before the fall happened. So man fell into his provision. He did not fall from grace. He fell into grace. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. What caught man when he fell? Not the judgment of God. The grace of God. I've told you the only time fall from grace is mentioned in scripture is in departure from grace to the law. To works. So when man fell, he did not fall from grace. He fell in grace. In it was grace that caught him. The buffer was grace. The, the blood that was shed, the skin that was covered him. What was that? Was that judgment? Was, was that condemnation? Cost the life out of the serpent. Cost the ground for man's sake. Couldn't cost man. Because to curse man would be to curse God. God had cursed man that day God would have ceased to exist because man was made in the image of God so man was as Christ as not like us that's why God exclaimed hey man has become one of us of us of us Elohim so the moment God cursed man, God would have dried up. 
Because what he curses is his expressed nature in man. So God will not have been immune from his curse on man in his image. So he cursed the ground for man's sake. And knew, you know what? I have to protect my investment. Your seed. Her seed. Heel and head. Bite his heel for a bit. But he will crush your head. For this thing you did. To deceive my son. My son will crush your head. Who got it? You deceived my son, Adam. Eh? Oh, no, you, you, you are now thinking that because you deceived my son, I have lost all my sons. No, wait. My son. You. You will bite him small. You will bite him small. Or he will crush your head. So you see, when, when you now start and start shouting, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your... That's the fulfillment of that prophecy. In John 3. That the son will crush the head of he who had the power of sin and death. You, you deceive my son, right? Don't worry. My son is coming. That's why I've told you the entire redemption narrative is a tale of two men. God has never dealt with people. Ever. God has only ever dealt with two men. And everybody that comes from those two men gets the lot of those men. Anybody that is born of the first Adam gets the lot of the first Adam. I don't care what, what, how nice you are. Why did I say that? Man fell. He began to give birth. Everybody he gave birth to was sinful by, on arrival. Nothing good this fallen man did could make him good. Do we agree? Yes, sir. That's why grace that was coming to in the Old Testament was found. Men, men found grace. Found, they found grace. Then now we are saved. We are righteous. We are good. Yes, sir. I, see me, I'm a good guy. Yes, no, it's okay. I understand that you don't believe me. But really, I'm a good guy. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Which makes me the quintessential good guy. Inherently, intrinsically good guy. Who might sometimes do bad things? But hold on. I was a bad guy. No good thing I ever did could make me good. Okay. I am a good guy. How now can a bad thing I do make me bad? Because if nothing good I did from here could push me into righteousness. Nothing, nothing. Job did sacrifices for his children before they sinned. Before they sinned. Before they sinned. He said in Job 1 that paradventure they sinned and caused God in their hearts. Paradventure. 
Okay, God, ah, I've seen all my daughters and sons there in the house of, uh, of that one. Just in case whatever they do might result in sin. Take this offering. And yet, he was a sinner. Nothing they did qualified them. Nothing they did qualified them. And then I'm here. He has qualified also. Colossians 1.12. I'm not the one saying it. Colossians 1. He has qualified us. He has translated us. He has delivered us. He has redeemed us. He has restored us. He has perfected us. He sang. It's not what I'm saying. It's scripture. The, the problem for religion is that I believe it. They did everything for me to not see it. I saw it in the word and I believe it. And now that I believe it, in my earthly walk, sir, there is nothing, nothing that can make me bad. Nothing. The sinner, no matter how much good he does, remains a sinner. He will never be accepted on his own merit. So he gives up doing good. What's the point? And he stays the sinner that he is. Sir, you are a sinner. No matter what you do that is good. You can't be good. So you tell yourself, what's the point doing good? Just be a bad boy. Because after all, I'm a bad boy. Are you here? Oh, you will like this. The righteous. No matter how much bad he does. Remains righteous. He will never be lost. On account of his vices. So he gives up doing bad. What's the point? And stays the righteous that he is. What's the problem here? What is good for the goose? I will read it again. The sinner, no matter how much good he does, remains a sinner. He will never be accepted on his own merit. So he gives up doing good. What's the point? And he stays the sinner that he is. The righteous, no matter how much bad he does, remains righteous. He will never be lost on account of his vices. So he gives up doing bad. What's the point? And stays the righteous that he is. What's the problem? What's the problem? Why are we trying to complicate something that is so simple? Because if a righteous man can become bad on account of sin, then the sinful man can become righteous on account of good. That makes God very unfair if he could not impute righteousness to a sinner by good works, but imputes condemnation to a righteous guy by bad works. What are we preaching? What nonsense are we preaching? So now it's done by Paul. has different standards. You, you score a goal. He realized that, ah, the goal was too easy. He now reduces the goalpost. Even if Messi and Ronaldo and all the big guys and 
Drogba and, and Myma, what's the name? Nyema, whatever his name is, are all playing on the same team, not against each other. Put Messi, Ronaldo, um, Igalo, what's that guy? Igalo, right? Nyema, put them all on the same team. Auntie, the goalpost is the same size. You not say no now, they are all on the same team. Let's make it more difficult for them. Let's reduce the goalpost. It's not fair now. These people are playing super eagles. They are all playing super eagles. So let's, on the super eagle side, let's reduce the goalpost. On their side, let's make it very wide. Because they're too savvy. FIFA rules are FIFA rules. You don't shift the goalpost because of who is playing. So if you are righteous, these are your rules. What's the problem? Ask your neighbor, what's, what's the problem? So when you realize that, you know what? This bad I'm doing is not changing anything. You give up. It's not helping you. You are stealing. You are sleeping around. You are drinking. You are lying. You are doing malice. You are, it's not helping you. You are a righteous son of God. You, you will now tell yourself, you know, this is me, this is not timing. I mean, son of God, I, I, this is not helping me. So what's the problem? We teach you long enough, you will realize the thing is not helping you. And you tell yourself, it's not, it's, it's not like it's even changing anything. So what am I doing this for? The same way somebody here will go, see, last, last, I'm going to die. So what the goodness is. You see, you see what's the point? Let me allow me to flex. I'm a sinner, I'm a bad guy, and I saw you be. Same way. Somebody will get to say, I'm a son of God. I saw you be. How is this thing helping me? It's not, it's not like you're changing anything. I do nonsense. The person continues to see me as good. Can I not just wake up and just be that good? Just be what he sees? And stop the nonsense? Is anybody getting this? So the second son comes back on the earth and he starts to replace the colony that was lost by the first man. Let's go to Genesis 3. You know, let's just, let's just, let's just let your eyes fall on it. Oh, hallelujah. This gospel is so glorious. So glorious. 17. Genesis 3, 17. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. <laughs> the ground. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Keep going. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God, made 
tunics or coverings of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and also take up the tree of life and eat and live forever. In that state of good and evil. A believer living in the place of good and evil is living an inferior life. A believer living in the world of, oh, this is wrong. Oh, this is right. Oh, this is wrong. A believer stuck at morality is a baby. And it's okay if you're there, you'll grow. So living according to God's will. Full stop. God's will is not right versus wrong. And also take off the tree of life and eat. And what's the consequence of eating the tree of life? Live forever. Verse 22. 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden. To till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man of the man and placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden. And a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Until. So that's how man lost his dominion. You hear? Lost his dominion or lost his kingdom privilege. Because it's the same word. Right? And I put down here that therefore every religious, political, and philosophical system in the world is an attempt by the fallen man to regain the kingdom of God on earth that man lost. I'll read it again. Every religious, political, and philosophical system in the world is an attempt by the fallen man to regain the kingdom of God on earth that man lost. That includes Christianity, which is the worst of them all. Every religious, political, and philosophical system in the world is an attempt by the fallen man to regain the kingdom of God on earth that man lost. If you talk with some of them new ageism people, you will see a misplaced honesty, misplaced genuineness to explain how there is more to man than just this. I'm not talking baby witches and wizard societies that are all about flying at night and eating raw human meat and drinking blood. Those are baby societies, baby cults. Those are, they rank very low in the pecking order. Very low, very low. They are not regarded as much. Oh, these are kindergarten societies. Blood sucking, blood testing. What Christianity is falling over? Demons that cause accidents, that cause this. These are babies. We're talking principalities that control the intellectual flow of the systems of this world. That's who you should be concerned about. Christianity is such a joke. People are sitting down programming how generations will think, talk, act, spend money. 
And you're here clapping hands and shouting. I'm praying for people, demons to fall down and die that never die. Many witches in father's house, mother's house, people under trees and shrines buried around. Those are elementary nonsense. We're talking casting down imaginations and high things. It's not these things. Because secret societies, fraternities are shaping the entire outlook of the entire universe for generations to come. They've planned what will happen in the next 500 years. And they've been working at it for the past few hundred years. They're looking for a demon that is sucking blood and causing accidents. And these guys will look at you and look at how foolish you are and what nonsense you are caught up with that they have allowed to keep you perpetually distracted from what they are actually doing. If you can naturally see the devil, it wasn't the devil you saw. It was a shadow. It was something the devil caused you to see while he's doing something that you can't see. Somebody that Paul describes as disguising himself as an angel of light. Principalities. It's not this nonsense we're dealing with. People don't, the actual principalities don't bother you. They set up a system that will drag you into it. You just wake up and realize you're working in a systemic organization of the evil one. We don't understand that the devil is not, contrary to what religion has shown you, the devil is not worried by your praise and worship. And your prayer, when your devil is here in service, sitting down while you are praising and worshiping and praying and sprinkling the blood, he's not threatened by it. His problem is not for you to stop doing it. He can create a framework whereby you are doing your thing inside his thing. I'll teach this thing someday. Do you understand? He creates a framework, creates a box. Inside that box, you can pray, you can give offering, you can do crusade, you can fall under the anointing, you can have a great time inside that box. He's not interested in stopping what you're doing. He's interested in regulating how you're doing it. Inside his box, cast him, bind him, set him on fire, kill him, doesn't do nothing to him. Inside the system he designed for you. So like a hamster on a wheel. You're just doing all your thing day in, day out as he has ordained it. Because he's a systemic guy. He's not a random guy. And so you're running around doing church, doing everything you like inside the parameters he has predetermined. Because he's the God of this age. Until songs manifest. And then you begin to see Satan as the custodian and guardian of what is yours. An anger will well up in your spirit to the kingdom and take it. You're fighting with nonsense. You're a son of God. You can't sleep at night. Demon is pressing you. You, you. Demon. That's where you are. Demon is pressing you. 
Not to sleep, you are afraid. You sense a spirit of death. From where? Then your mate is saying, you rest not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Lots of darkness in high places. High places. Not small demon under your feet. And these guys are running a system that knows that there's more. All of them know. The only people that do not really know that there's more is Christians. I'm being honest with you. I'm being honest with you. It is honestly, honestly, one of two or three dumbest religions in the world. Christianity. We're running around like grasshoppers in a bottle. Who knows what I'm talking about? Life is happening and shaping what your everyday life is playing out to be. Systems are falling in place. People are playing the world like a game of chess. And we're sat there feeling cozy. And people are there and they're mapping stuff and calculating stuff and sacrificing countries to gain other countries. Playing this to distract you so they can go there. There's people who are deep thinkers, deep philosophers, philosophers, deep spiritualists. Not the ones that bring rain or stop rain. Those are children. Those are children. Any masquerade you can see is a toy. See why people don't like me? But you see why you can't mess with some of us? There's some fear we cannot have. I, I can't, I can't, there's some fear I can't dream of having. I know too much in God. To be scared by nonsense. Do you know what we're dealing with? Any masquerade that comes out is a toy. It's a man behind it. <laughs> it's a toy. You don't see them. You don't know their names. They don't have coven. The guys that run the earth don't have shrines. <laughs> I'm opening somebody's eyes today. You can't trace them. They are hidden in plain sight. And there's a common denominator among all of them. They know there's more to life than this fickle, earthly, finite existence. They just can't place what that more is. They know. In fact, they are all driven by a burning desire to make sense of that more. To the point where they start to tell you it's your inner chi. It's your inner energy. That's the God that you are. You must come and be at one with nature. They've gotten such control. They are not of God, but they've brought their body under subjection. And you that was giving full loaded self-control as a spirit are struggling. Not by your effort. Full loaded self-control as the fruit of the spirit. And you're struggling. People are out there by normal earthly and in some cases celestial energy. They know there's something there. They, they know if they try long enough to rise above the norm, they will touch it. 
And that's how clairvoyance works. You can sit down, necromancers, they can sit down and project so strongly they will lock onto an energy and read you off of that energy. That's how astrology works. Now I hear running around. Simple, basic, elementary principles of scripture. The church doesn't know. And we're standing and going on Facebook and arguing blindly. We don't claim to know it all. But there's things we know, sir. There's things we know. So every religious, political, and philosophical system of this world is trying to fill that void that man lost. Let's get, there's something. You mean this, this is all there is to us? Get born, hustle, and die? They know there's more. The only person not chasing it is the believer. Because nobody even taught you what you lost in the first place. Nobody taught you that you didn't start off being a mere man. Nobody taught you that you didn't start off being normal, trying to end up extraordinary. You started off extraordinary. It's the fall of man that made you normal. It's the fall of man that brought mortality. I told you last week. Mortality is normal. Mortality is equal to humanity. Does that make sense? Being mortal is what makes you human. And that's what makes you the cousin of the animal. They die, you die. They breathe, you breathe. They excrete, you excrete. They procreate, you procreate. So you hear human beings being addressed or defined by animalistic natures. Animalistic tendencies, animalistic inclinations. And sometimes you even like it. So you brought out the animal in you. Clap for yourself, beast. <laughs> yeah. so you brought out the animal. <laughs> Clap for yourself, beast. Brought out my raw animal instinct. Ah. That's what causes you to be related to an animal. Mortality. We are priding ourselves in what is the express result of man falling out of God's will. Humanity. Mortality is the result of man falling out of God's will. It's not God's design for you. Yes, sir. Are not men, men. And until you resolve this in the gospel, your life, that transformation you're after, you will see it. You will continue to live like everybody else and be content with what everybody else is content with. There's no difference between you before the fall and you after the restoration. No difference. One was a living soul. One is a life-giving spirit. Not normal. So don't join people that trivialize supernatural manifestations in favor of living a normal life. Oh. It makes no difference from an animal. Are you here? So one son messes up. Another son is introduced. What religious systems, political systems, philosophical systems are trying to regain 
of the kingdom of God that man lost can only be regained by a man from God. Only a man from God can regain what a man from God lost. Are you here? That's why all these guys are failing. Because all these guys are of the strand of the fallen man. They're on to something that they will never quite come into. Because they simply do not qualify to unravel what they are after. A fallen man simply does not qualify to regain what he lost. Who is following me? Their intentions are pure and no matter how pure their pursuits are, they will never come into it because it was their species that lost it. Are you here? So the fallen man does not have what it takes to apprehend that which he lost. Cannot lay hold of it. It is too lofty for him because the person that engaged in it was of a superior pecking order, was of a superior processing, was of a superior paradigm yes. than this fallen man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. sir, you are falling. Yeah. It means you were at a particular place, yeah. even in your reasoning and apprehension, yes, that you no longer occupy. Yes, now that you know that you lost it, doesn't mean you can get back there because you don't even have enough reasoning to get back what you lost. Yes. That is the reason why you are so low in your reasoning. We reason the particular way. Are you following me now? We had a superior level of living. We lost it. We are falling below that. Now we know we are fallen. But now that we are fallen, we don't even have the capacity to apprehend what we lost. How much more get back there? Who understands what I just said? So knowing that you lost it, even knowing what you lost is not enough. Does that make sense? For instance, if your IQ was, say, 2,000, and now you fail, your IQ is now 80. You can feel that something is wrong with your IQ. Yes, yes. But if you want to get back 2,000 IQ, and you are at 80, you cannot even conceive what the 2,000 is, what it looks like, what it tastes like, how it thinks, how it processes, how it talks, how it responds. You cannot even apprehend it. You can't conceive it because you are falling. Does that make sense? So you will need 2,000 and above. Does that make sense? 2,000 and above. You are, you are using 64 gig, half, half, what do you call it? Flash drive, memory card. You switch phone. Your memory card got corrupted. And now someone now gives you 16 gig flash and feels he's doing you a favor. How are you going to lose, load 64 gig into 16? And this 16, perhaps when you put it into your phone, you, for some weird reason, 3.5 gig is missing. And you can't tell where it went. <laughs> you delete every single thing that can be deleted. Freeze the ones that can be frozen. Disable the ones that can be disabled. And you still cannot account for which demon is eating your, your storage. And that's why there's a scramble for superior living in the earth. Yes. 
scramble. Everybody's trying by whatever means to make sense of life. Lay hold of something beyond the norm because look at me. No human being is content with being a human being. Are you, is anybody hearing me? No human being. Because the fallen man is still in the image of the almighty God. So somewhere inside your fall, somewhere inside your degeneration, somewhere inside your depravity is a constant nagging that there's more. I don't know what it is. I, I can't seem to place my hand on it, but there, there, there is more. Every human being is groaning out for the more that they are that they do not know. No human being is content to just be human. That's why we want to go to space. That's why we want to clone ourselves. That's why we want to be immortal. That's why we want to see whatever we can do. Can we just break this box? Because the average human knows that there is a constricting factor on us. The average human knows there is a limitation. The average human knows there is a restraint. There is something that seems to have determined we cannot go beyond here. But somehow inside you is the inner nudge that tells you there is more. There is more. So we keep pushing boundaries. We keep stretching. We keep searching. We keep scrambling for and laying hold of stuff. We're always stretching boundaries. And the more you do that, the more you realize. I mean, what will make a human being try to go to the sun? They put a gorilla in a spacecraft a few years ago and sent it to the direction of the sun and the thing spontaneously combusted. It cannot get there as hot as this sun is. It is 93 million miles from the earth. 93 million, 140 something million kilometers. You saw sun being this hot. You saw the distance. You still sent a spacecraft to go there. To land where? That what will happen? And we have people pushing the boundaries of life because they felt we came from more. We should be about more. We should open up ourselves to more. The only persons that don't give a toss about it are Christians. Unfortunately, including believers. Saved and sanctified and blood washed and forgiven and redeemed and restored and reconciled. Then what? And I've been shouting this for years. This is, all, this is all he died for. Mediocre, substandard living. Subservient to the systems of this world. And we keep singing, we are pilgrims. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are pilgrims. We are pilgrims. Yet ambassadors manage to live well in a foreign country. As poor as those poor countries are, our mission's heads in those countries are not suffering. So who says you can't live well in a colony? Because the world around you is messed up. Who says because you're not of here, you cannot dominate here? Who taught you that? Who taught you that? By dominate, I'm not talking about financial prosperity. Even though, hear me carefully, 
And I'm, I can't say this in English, so permit me. Even though that one day, it's inclusive. A byproduct, but an important one nonetheless. And all these scrambles for life to make more sense than it can make now can only be achieved by a man after the order of the one that lost it. If one person lost it and everybody entered the chaos, one person will find it and everybody enters the blessing. Are you here now? So the second Adam comes. The man, Christ Jesus. Your ignorance does not mean life will wait until you know. Life is not at a standstill waiting for you to take all the time you need to know what you need to know to take over, not catch up. Take over. It's a shame to be thinking of catching up. The world should be trying to keep pace with the church. It's the world that should be trying to keep pace with the church. Ephesians 3.10 That to the intent that the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to principalities and powers by the church. Don't call catch up here. Put it up in the Amplified. 310. So now, through the church, the multifaceted, multifaceted wisdom of God in all its countless aspects might now be made known, revealing the mystery to the angelic rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. TPT. I wish I had classic. Classic opens it up even further. The purpose of this was to unveil before every throne and rank of angelic orders in the heavenly realm God's full and diverse wisdom revealed. That's what you say. Is this, is this what ordinary people would do? No, the world should be trying to keep pace with the church. It's unfortunate how, how low we have fallen. Go and check every single Ivy League university in the U.S. was started by a believer. From Harvard to Stanford to Princeton. Go and check every single Ivy League university was begun by a believer. Then handed over to the church. Then a trust eventually evolved to take it over. Believers. Because they understood that they were called to dominate the educational system. Most of them studied at theological schools. Their first faculty was theology. Come do your research. Until today, they're the largest, most successful universities in the world. There's more. There's more. The gospel brings us into so much more. And that's what drives me every day of my life. If I don't see it in my lifetime, I would have planted deep enough seeds. To bring about it when I'm gone. If you're young, you count yourself privileged. It's not a time for you to mess about. You're hearing this in your 20s. Blessed are you. 
You don't know it, but blessed are you. Your hand is in your 30s. Fortunate are you. Because you have a whole generation laid out ahead of you. And because you straddle generations, your generations after you are blessed because of you. If only you pay attention to these things now. Now. Because we have to phase out the nonsense that believing has come to be known for. We have to phase it out in a hurry. We have to face it out in a hurry. A generation has to arise that will never have that nonsense as a reference point. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. For the kingdom to come about in the earth. A generation must arise that will not reference it. 12, 13. They're, they're still living in between both. They're still having conversations in their schools where they're trying to straighten out nonsense. We have to teach until this thing becomes the norm. And everything around it becomes the nonsense. That's when we're making progress. When the kid who is advocating works is the one that will be known to be the one that doesn't have sense. Not now. That's the kid who is speaking for righteousness by grace through faith. That is the one that's looking like he's odd. No, we have to reverse it. Until the person who is advocating the old covenant is the one that is odd. And on the playground, everybody will say, Hi, sister, you must come to light. That's why we teach the way we teach admonition that we present everyone perfect in Christ Jesus. Only the man from God can restore what the man from God lost. God is not random, He's so beautiful in how deliberate He is. A man, because you see, it was a legal transaction. What you don't, Satan did not steal man's mandate. Satan made a suggestion. Man gave it to him. The narrative repeats all through scripture. When you stand and start saying Esau stole, Esau stole nothing. Jacob rather stole nothing from Esau. He didn't put a gun to Esau's head and say, give me your birthright. He made a suggestion. You want my soup, my porridge? Give me what is yours. Esau said, of, he said, and I quote, what use is a birthright to me when I'm hungry? And it wasn't a very serious meal. Porridge, porridge, porridge. So, you now come and say, Satan stole. No, 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 no. Please. Please. No, no, no. It was a fully legal transaction. So heaven and earth honored it. Because if it was not legal, guess what? God right there in Genesis 3 could have reversed it. Right there. Upturned it. Think about it. Could have come into the garden. What happened here? Oh yeah, Satan came, he stole this thing. Hey, give that back. I don't like I don't like I don't I don't like bullies. Does that make sense? I don't like bullies around here. What gives you the right to bully my children? I'll give it, give it back. And boom, give it back. And that's the end of the story. Serpent crawls away, we continue fellowship. At this point. Which most of you as senior brothers or sisters have done. 
for your siblings. My friend, where's his exercise book? Give him back his book. What's wrong with you? Let me see you do that again. You poke. Try it again. Take something that belongs to someone. But this was a legally binding transaction. That's why they thought, hear me carefully. That's why the forgiveness of sins and justification had to also be legal. So it had to be legal. It couldn't just be some kind of under the table arrangement. No, no, no. Because the guy too will get up and say, ah, but what was governing this? But the entire thing has been legal and straightforward. Nothing dodgy about nothing dodgy about it. The guy, the serpent is being a serpent. Does a deceiver tell the truth? So did he act out of character? Why are you judging him? Somebody has been told to be a liar from the beginning. Were you expecting him to tell the truth? So if a liar lied, why are you surprised? Why are you disappointed in the lie of a liar? Were you expecting the liar to tell the truth? No, we're not expecting the liar to tell the truth. We're expecting the son to decipher the lie. Yes, sir. 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 What's your problem? Why is it why is it disturbing you? You keep going trying to bind him and cast him. You can't do it. He knows you can't do it. He's asking why you're doing it. Sometimes I used to go and tell God what I'm doing. So like God doesn't know. So why are you so why are you so bothered? So the writer says we are not unaware of his devices. It is his place to bring up devices. It's our place to be aware. Of them. Do your job, I do my job. It's so simple. Again, diversionary tactics. Satan keeps you thinking he's the problem, so you face him and leave the problem. He tells you, bind me, bind me, bind me. He knows you can't bind him. Bind me, bind me, bind me. Rashes on your hand, it's me. But pain on your bum, it's me. You have a problem at work, it's me. You have a nasty attitude at work. You are disrespectful, you are incompetent, you are inefficient. The devil has people telling you it's him. So you spend all your energy binding Satan, you will not fix your attitude. Continue. Bad financial planning. You get into the problem. You say, Satan. Satan will say, yes, blame it on me. Let me also do what I'm doing that you will not see. No problem. Continue. Why are you upset with Satan for being Satan? You should be upset with yourself for not being the son of God you are. Because he has a job description and he's carrying it out. What's your problem? Legal transaction. God said, that's what he said. No, he couldn't have said. What he meant was, so if it depends on how you look at it, if you look at it like this, what, what, you know, what he meant was, you know, what would have happened was, you know, so if you, if you did this and traded this for that, you can get a slightly different result to the one you've been promised you will get. So he sells you something different for a different price. Open market. 
You look at it, you agree to his terms and conditions, and you enter a trade. You gave him what was yours. He took it and became the prince of this world. For this purpose, the Son of Man was made manifest. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Legal transaction, he steal it. He didn't come and say, hey, hey, Hannah, I brought it for you. Open your mouth. <laughs> ah, oh my God. No. So here's what happened. Kingdoms changed hands. The enemy would have had none if man didn't sell it to him. Could have just been that serpent crawling on its belly. Or however it worked before it was told to crawl on its belly. How did he get the kingdom? How did Satan get the kingdom? Transaction. You gave it to him. Who promised him a kingdom before? Who gave him a kingdom before? Who made him a prince or a king? So sons of men. The sons of men made him king of this world. Oh God. Because the kingdom of heaven started. The king there. The kingdom of heaven on earth started. The king here. Which one belongs to the devil? Which domain, which sovereignty was given to Satan? You then gave it to him. You're now chasing heaven. Because as you are chasing heaven, his lot is secure. You chase heaven, make heaven, make heaven. So Satan, hear me carefully now. That's why he says that his agents, these these guys, as agents of righteousness, agents of Satan, these guys as ministers of righteousness, preaching to you, make heaven, face heaven, face heaven, face heaven, face heaven, face heaven. Don't worry about earth. Face heaven. Face heaven. This world is not your home. Face heaven. How did he get a kingdom? Because from the beginning it was not so. He was a random player in a game that he was a servant in. Look at the nomenclature of Genesis 3. He was walking around like a scavenger. An opportunist. You know what I mean? Like Simon Templar. Walking around just, just looking for who I can prey upon. That I can perhaps come upon something. He had nothing. Until man gave it away legally. Legally. Then eternity sleeps and wakes up and there's a new king on the block. A king with a domain that was given to him. He was never told to have any dominion. We were told to have dominion. And we were not told to have dominion in heaven. We are told to have dominion in the earth. If we lost heaven, God will not still be there. 
if we lost heaven, then every angel would have become a demon. Mm-hmm. 24 elders would have fallen. Mm-hmm. Heaven would have ceased to exist if heaven was what man lost. There cannot be order in heaven if it was the kingdom of heaven that man lost. There would have been disorder in heaven. Be disorder. You will be able to trace God to heaven. Your dominion was given. Where domain? Take domain, Mamlaka. Take the exercise kingdom mandate here. You took it and gave to Satan. That's how it became his kingdom. That is why at the end of the day, this other son will say the kingdoms of this world. Because his mandate is to take it back. For the sons of men. One Adam lost it legally. One Adam will get it back legally. So what happens is this second guy comes on the scene and says, hey, so my brother that year did something played into you and by sin, Abby, and death. Shebi lost this thing. Shebi, what he used to lose it was sin. Abi, yes. sin, Abi, yes, sin yes. was how he lost it. So the problem now is sin, Abi. Sin. Okay, so I will become the sin. Shame is sin. Sin, and then death. So people are dying. Nobody can live again. And that death came because of sin, Abi. So now if I deal with death and then now conquer, deal with sin and then conquer death, maybe you have no reason now to hold the kingdom again. You now give me back my kingdom. And then I can now start it and give my brothers. That's the problem. Hey, wait, I'm coming. So, so you see why I tell you that forgiveness of sins is not the ultimate. Are you following this? Because I cannot come and say, come on, come on, give me that thing, give me that kingdom back. No, no, it was a legal transaction. So what was it? What was sin? Right? Death. That one that Adam. That my brother first come. Okay, no problem. We'll sort it. So so once I pay for sin and death, you have no legal grounds to hold on to this kingdom. Right? You are sure. Mm. Once I pay sin and death, pay it in full mm. for all the generations for eternity. Yes. You have no more right to this kingdom. You are sure. Okay, no problem. And that's a redemption plan. Redemption. 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 Redeem. Redemption. Take back. Take back by paying the price for. Take back by paying the price for. Take back by paying the price for redeem redemption. Yes, So the world is chasing what only the second Adam can regain. Now he has regained it. Yes, he has. But the person who has now lost it, having spoiled principalities and powers made an open show of them by nailing them to the cross. So, Satan knows he has no kingdom. 
Because he has been disarmed. He has been conquered. He has been spoiled. He knows that legally he has no kingdom anymore. His only hope is that he keeps you distracted long enough for you to not know. Because the only people that do not seem to know that he has lost is the believers. That is why 95% of our programs are, are arranged with Satan in mind. All our prayer points with Satan in mind. Spiritual warfare, Satan in mind. Crusades, Satan in mind. All everything we're doing, the recurrent theme, is a defeated foe. Who knows? He's defeated. He knows. Why does he know? The same way he knew when he won in the garden, legally. Is the same way he knew when he lost. Because scripture says, if the prince of this world had known. So when he saw checkmate, hey! What did God, Jesus, promise Peter? He said, unto you. I give what? When he spoiled respects and powers, what did he take from them? What did he take from the enemy? The key. Who has it? The church. What are you then chasing, chasing the serpent for? When the key has been taken and returned to you, and Satan knows. He knows. But let's keep them distracted long enough. Don't preach victory that they have in Christ Jesus. Don't show them that I'm defeated. Oh, don't show them. Like somebody who writes your name in his will and the executioner hides the will. Five years, ten years, fifteen years. There's twenty properties that belong to you. But the executioner is hoping that you will live long enough to die without claiming the will. Then he can open up the wheel and says, well, the real heir is dead. I now become the legal executioner, whatever that word is called in the law. There's somebody who becomes power of attorney. Someone who becomes power of attorney and takes over those properties because there's nobody that can administer them. That's the enemy's game plan. So it's not mine, but if I play you long enough, you will burn out and not be able to appropriate what is yours. And I will rock it for a little bit longer. Well, thanks be to God. Who always causes us. Oh, go on, go on and give him praise. Go on. Psalm 37, 10 and 11. I'll close here. We'll continue next Sunday. Psalm 37, 10 and 11. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place. Here, please, 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 church, please. Please don't read with the lens of religion. A little longer and the wicked, not plural, the wicked shall be no more. Not plural. The wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look for, carefully for, 
that entity. The wicked. Not wicked men. Shall look for his place, his place, his position, his authority, his privilege. It shall be no more. See the next verse. See the next verse. See verse 11. Text only. But the meek shall inherit where? Okay, why? Because that is the place currently of the wicked. You shall look for it. It shall be no more. Go back to verse 10. Stay with me. Yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look for his, carefully, for his place. But it shall be no more. Next verse. But. But. You shall look for the place of the wicked. Carefully. Carefully. You will no more. We no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth. This was the Bezionic prophecy that Jesus now said in Matthew 5. Blessed are the meek. You get it? So when Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, he was quoting the fulfillment of this prophecy, referring to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in the earth. Isaiah 61, 1 to 3. Stay with me. Isaiah 61, you see, you come together. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Again, this is what Jesus quotes in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Keep going all the way to verse 3. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Isaiah 11 verse 1 and 2. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Isaiah, Isaiah. 700 years before Jesus. It shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. Verse 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. From 2 Samuel chapter 7. Follow the trail. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12. Through to 16. 2 Samuel 7 verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Look at this carefully. Who will come from your body, as I showed you the stem of Jesse. This is now God telling David. The seed will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. Next verse. He shall build a house for my name. Not the temple of Solomon because he was never even called the temple of David. So the, the temple being talked about here was not the physical building. Remember you are his house. First Corinthians 3.9 You are God's building. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 14. I will be his father and he shall be my son. 
If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, which Jesus received when he became iniquity. The rod of men, the blows of the sons of men. Next verse, 15. But my mercy shall not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. 16 and the last verse. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Luke chapter 1. That's the last text for today. Now Gabriel is speaking to Mary. I will go from verse 31 for time's sake. Luke 1, 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. 32. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 33 and the last. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom So what was the agenda all along? One Adam lost it legally. The next, thankfully, the last. So as this Adam has regained it, it can no longer be lost. You cannot come and lost it. There's no third Adam. This kingdom is irreversible. And this kingdom is returned to the sons of God. Even in Hebrews 2 it says, yes, we do not see all things. But we see Jesus. In whom all things come. So even if we don't see all things, we see the one. We see the one in whom all things consist and under whom all things have been subjected. We see that one. We see all things. Oh, come on, give him praise in here. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.